This time on episode 288 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we discuss Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., season 6, episode 6, Inescapable, and weekly Marvel news. I'm Haley from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm director SP. And I'm agent Michelle. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Saturday, June 22nd, 2019, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast worldwide via www.geeks.live. Come on and join our live chat as we record. Happy National Summer's Giving Day! I had no idea that Summer's Giving existed, but I like the idea that we have a big food holiday about two weeks before another big food holiday, which is July 4th. For those of you not in the know, Summer's Giving is this Saturday after the summer solstice, which is June 21st every year. And it is just a day for celebration. Everyone has a favorite holiday food or tradition, and Summer's Giving provides the opportunity to bring them together under the sun or stars for one big celebration. I get the sense that this might be for people outside of like the United States and Canada, because Canada has July 1st. We have July 4th. I'm thinking the rest of the world, they have summer's giving. Well, it's summer for us, but in the Southern Hemisphere, it's not. Right. So it's not for everybody. I don't know. We'll have to do some more research into this. But for all of you who celebrate summer's giving, I hope you've had a happy summer's giving, and I hope it all goes well from there. All right, let's move on for the rest of the show. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the ABC television show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the multiple Marvel small screen series, and the Marvel cinematic and comic book universes in general. Because of keeping bad things in music boxes. You'd like to talk to us about your pent-up feelings that you have stuffed in a music box. You can get us on our website, legendsofshield.com. You can tell us what you keep in music boxes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to message the ladies talking about what you keep in your music box, you can catch them on our Facebook page at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. If you'd like to share healthy ways of expressing your emotions, you can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You want to see us and leave a comment on what you keep in a music box on our YouTube channel. You can catch us at youtube.com slash geek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. Remember, we have a Discord server chat that's available at geek.com slash Discord, which you can tell us all about your music boxes and what you may or may not keep in them. And remember, Legends of Shield is a proud member of the geek.com network. Michelle, we've got kind of a lurker here. He has not popped up in the chat in the discussion yet, but I'm going to introduce him. We're talking to Chris today from Play Comics, which is another podcast on the GunnaGeek.com network. Chris runs a podcast that merges comic books and video gaming. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys today? We are doing excellent, and, you know, for not having Lauren and Haley around, we're really hoping that you can pick up a lot of the things that they don't do, which is quippy comments and then really deep philosophical items. Do you think you can handle that? I think we can handle that. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you joining us here. Uh, Haley is off for another couple of weeks, and... Lauren, I think we'll be back next week. Uh, She had previously told me that she was going to be off this week. I had forgotten about that when I said she might be back next week, but she's not here. So with that, we are going to get into the main topic for this podcast, which is talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
We watched Inescapable last night. It aired on Friday, June 21st, 2019, the summer solstice. Michelle, who directed this episode? This episode was directed by Jesse Bochco. Has 16 directing credits starting in 2002, including 10 episodes of NYPD Blue, two episodes of Commander-in-Chief, two Prison Break, nine Murder in the First, and 12 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This episode was written by DJ Doyle. We've known DJ for a long time. He has one actual writing credit starting in 2014, but he has... 10 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. under his belt. He's been the executive story editor for 22 episodes, story editor for another 10 episodes, and the staff writer for two episodes. DJ Doyle has been a staple of the created staff behind Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pretty much since the beginning. So very grateful to have them back. And I think DJ Doyle was needed in this episode because they went through all the history with the science babies. We'll get to that in a second. Michelle, this episode was titled Inescapable, and we often equate the title to the theme of the episode, and usually the creative team does a great job of combining the two. So what do you got for me this week? What does inescapable mean? Well, you have the obvious mind prison of Tara puts Fitz and Simmons in, and then you've got the underlying repressed emotions of Simmons and Fitz, Fitz with Leopold. And Gemma with this ring-like creature that crawls out of the music box. I love just how horrific that was. And you can't escape your demons sometimes. Sometimes you actually can't keep repressing them. You need to turn, you need to face them head on and deal with them. I think it was great that it wasn't just because we have known Fitz's dark side for a long time. With Leopold, thanks to the framework and Ada, which was brought up in this episode. But we did not necessarily know Gemma's demons. We found them out because she has repressed them. And I think it was great what happened to them in the end. We'll save that for a little bit from now. But yeah, I think you nailed it. It was inescapable because they were in a mind prison and inescapable of themselves, of their true selves. Chris, what do you think about all that? I mean, you also have the aspect of those two are inescapable from each other. Just their stories just keep intertwining. They keep getting pushed together. They keep getting stuck together with things, which, you know, obviously they're a fan of, which is great that they like each other. But just no matter what happens, they're always coming back together. And they are unstoppable together, too. That came up several different times. Was that in the original proposal that Fitz had with Simmons? Michelle, do you remember that? I do not remember that. I don't either. I just kept on thinking this wasn't the first time that I've heard that or seen it. I think it came up. I'm going to have to watch that again. Matter of fact, I'm going to have to watch some past Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. again because I think, I could be mistaken, but I think I saw the back end of the original bus versus the Zephyr 1. But I'll have to go back and, and watch and see if they showed us that set versus the Zephyr set. I don't know. So lots of cool stuff there. Michelle, where do you want to start talking about this episode? Well, at first, Gemma and Fitz think they're in an actual prison. They bond over tea. And then when they start talking and things just start appearing and Altara's like, well, whenever, whatever you need, this is the best tech that Chromacons have. It'll just appear. And of course, Fitz is the one that figures out we're in a mind prison. And I think it's appropriate Fitz figures it out because of all the framework background. If you recall, if you're a listener to the show and you recall at the end of last episode, I mentioned that I was not really pleased of where this episode was going to go because of the similarities to the framework. I didn't mention the framework because Michelle had not seen the trailer for this week yet. But I was worried coming into this that it would be another framework thing. And I was like, we just don't have the half a season it's going to take for everybody to figure it out and get out of there. So I'm glad they resolved it in one episode. But at the same time, it was a fact. I'm kind of surprised it took bits that long because stuff started appearing before then. Did he think it was just space magic and stuff was materializing? Well, it's the Chromacons. He wasn't really sure everything they could do. That's fair enough. And I'm sure just the seeing Gemma again in the flesh 
really pushed his timeline out a little bit too. <laughs> Until she turned into a little girl. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was a little creepy. And he and he actually like did you hear him? He yelped. He, this is a high pitched yelp. The only Fitz could do it. Only Ian DeCaster could do it. He's like, <laughs> that came from him, not her. Yeah, that part really surprised my wife because she had looked down to pick something up off the floor and why did she do that? It, no, it was Fitz. <laughs> and then she runs away because she just doesn't want to talk about Fitz. She's not ready. I was thinking about this. I've seen it twice. I saw it last night, a little after it aired, and then I saw it this morning on the treadmill. And I was thinking, did they really have to go through this? Because they're meant for each other. They have been there for each other throughout the entire thing. And I thought, well, no, there's demons. And the whole Leopold thing really wasn't resolved last year. And they just skipped over it, basically. Simmons just ran right over it just wanting to be with him when once he got there and Fitz, he's never really had to resolve stuff with Jeff. so they did have to resolve a lot of stuff this was kind of a unique way to do it because they could go back into all their memories and Gemma kept bringing up like all the bad things that Fitz did and and Fitz was like well you shot my dad sort of thing and it was stuff that they needed to work through and I'm glad they find they finally did at the end and we're able to move on. So I got a question for you guys. Gemma gave Fitz his ring back in the mine prison. Did he have it on him when they regained their physical conscious? Or did they have to do the swap after they teleported out? What do you guys think? They're going to have to do it in the physical space. It was more of a symbolic gesture in the mind space. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too, because otherwise there's a whole lot of stuff that could be coming out of the mind prison. And if we're wrong, that brings up a really cool list of things they can pull out of there, too. Right. So they could pull a lot of stuff out of there. Also, are they going to get married again or are they just considering themselves married because it already happened for Gemma? I mean, how often do you get to say you were already married in the future? Just from the fact of being able to say that. I really want them to just consider themselves married and be done. Maybe go have a paperwork signing just so government stuff doesn't run all over it. But they've pretty much gotten married already. I think this Fitz deserves a ceremony. He's been through a lot. Being trapped on different planets and dealing with Enoch. I think he deserves something. He's not going to get, you know, all the lemons and having... Well, maybe this time he'll still have his grandson present. That was a nice shocker at the end. But I think, I think he deserves the memory of a ceremony. This Fitz doesn't have the memory of a ceremony. It'll be interesting to see how they handle it. They might just one-off a line saying, hey, we decided that since we already did it once, we don't need to do it again. Or they might go ahead at the end of the season to have a ceremony. But they got to save the earth first. We heard a little bit more about what's going on with that. We'll get to that later because it's kind of... Uh, this was a big aside from the entirety of the episode, and it did take us into a lot of the history. We saw Clark Gregg in basically his first day as team leader. Was It might not have been the first day, but he got Fitzsimmons in, and you got that meeting that we never saw because they just showed up on the plane, right? We got that meeting that we never saw, and they emphasized that Fitz would never have done this without Gemma pushing him into it. Yeah, it seems the whole time like she's been the one kind of pushing them along and, you know, he might be the one who, I mean, if you have to pick a smarter one, might be Fitz, but she's the one that's really been making sure that they keep going on and making these breakthroughs. I thought it was really interesting when they went back to the academy and they were in Fitz's dorm room, which is actually pretty big for a college dorm room, by the way. But anyway, they were in the dorm room and they just played out the whole scene until finally Fitz was like hey wait a minute is this your memory or my memory i mean where are we in this whole thing and then they started breaking down pretty much what happened Gemma had put him in the friend zone that particular day and Fitz was actually comfortable speaking to her at that point i would say all women but it's pretty much her during that period of time and it was the beginning of them working together who knows what the actual problem was that they were trying to solve that particular day in the past, 
but we know that they were trying to solve them and escaping and possibly time travel. That's a good question. Do you guys think we're done with the time travel or do you think we're going to come back to this with the Chromicons? We're coming back to the question of the monoliths. And I think time travel is going to be discussed, but I don't know if it's actually going to happen. Yeah, because Chromicons aren't going to give up with that. They want to save their planet. So I, I could see that. But you're right. The monoliths will come, keep coming up, particularly the one that we never knew what it did as a matter of fact i hate to say this but maybe fitz actually creates all three monoliths and then sends them back in time i could actually see that wouldn't be the first time that makes sense somebody had to make them often wondered if they're inhuman tech or cree tech or something because they were around a very long time ago and we don't know everything they've done or could do Aside from Daisy and Yo-Yo, I wonder how much further they're going to go into the Inhumans, because I have a feeling that Disney just wants to forget the Inhumans ever happened. So would you say it's better for them to forget it happened by working them into this and saying, no, this is where Inhuman stuff is, or just completely leaving it out forever? Daisy and Yo-Yo are Inhumans. Right. They have to acknowledge that, but not bring it up beyond that. The whole Inhumans series that happen i don't even know if they want to bring that into the mcu or not we were we've been talking about this whole thing for the last couple of weeks of what is in this timeline anymore because the mcu is is gone basically after endgame they acknowledged it there we talked about how this part of the mcu basically was separated from the time they got back from the future really maybe even before that this is not part of the MCU anymore. And so they could easily say, well, in humans, that was just another thing that you just didn't realize that it wasn't part of here. I don't know if they'll ever say that or not, but I know they just don't want to acknowledge it because it just it was not well received, especially with the mutants out there. And we're not going to talk about it in the news, but Dark Phoenix was pulled from the theaters really early. I'm not sure what Disney is going to do. Kevin, Fe I know Kevin Feige has a plan. But he's got to bring the mutants back in and bringing the Inhumans is not going to help that at all. So I, I just don't think that the Inhumans are going to come back as part of this. Could it be Inhumans tech with the monoliths? Possibly. But I'd rather think that this is something that Fitz has to create from the gems, from the crystals of these, I don't know what to call them, time wraiths the ravens or whatever you want to crows time crows whatever you want to call them and that he ends up creating the monoliths from that in order to control it and fix time all of time and space because i think it's broken and you mean creating another time loop he was already stuck in one time loop and the fit broke it so you're you're saying that he is trapped in another time loop it could possibly be, yeah, because once he fixed the one, now we're on another time loop where all of time is broken. Now he has to fix time, not just the Earth. I don't know. I think the monoliths predate that. I think it's, if it's not in human tech, they keep bringing up the Kree. So I think this might be an interesting way to bring back the Kree. It might indeed. I was thinking they were bringing up the Kree just because they were bringing up everything that has happened. You know, they basically brought up Ghost Rider, although they didn't. And they brought up Framework. They brought up ADA, LMDs. Uh, they're bringing up a lot of the stuff that's happened before. They have not brought up the Inhumans, though. So, I don't know. You know, I think this might be the perfect time to just kind of mention Inhumans, talk about them like they've just kind of known about it, but didn't ever talk about it in the show too much. You know, kind of like in you know, high school-based TV shows where you know there's other classrooms down on the other side of the school, you just never see them, and you can bring those kids in for one episode because that's just the one time they happen to be important to the story of the main characters. Well, they had that whole storyline with Inhumans, and it culminated with the whole Hive thing and Mavif and, and time travel. So, I mean, they've had to deal with Inhumans on the show before, but I just don't see it happening anymore. 
mostly I'm just trying to find excuses to make it happen because I want to see it happen. <laughs> I want a good lockjaw. Yeah. I mean, it, we had some good times on the show with all that. Great writing. Uh, this show has never failed for writing. I, I think the first 16 episodes of the show really were searching for something because they were just in, in neutral waiting for Winter Soldier basically to start with the whole Hydra thing. Beside that, the show's just been phenomenal. And we, for our 200th episode, we went back and rewatched the pilot and it really still holds up. And it was great to see how the whole thing began and where it is now. And I don't think they've strayed from the original intent on the show at all. So that's been pretty fun. So, Michelle, with the science babies, Gemma and Fitz, what was your favorite part of their whole interaction because it was the bulk of the episode i think when they finally got to the containment pod and they're inside the containment pod and outside is leopold and gemma's horror monster circling them and they have that very intense argument which they've been together so long and so much stuff has happened to them. I really think that was just a great condensed therapy session where they were able to just scream at each other and get all of their other demons out. Everything that they keep thinking about each other. Because you have a view of someone, no matter how close you are. And sometimes that view doesn't match up with who they are right at that moment. And I, I think just that was great. And then when they come out. I'm going to talk more about that. But first, Chris, did you have a highlight moment between the two of them throughout the episode? See, other than that, which obviously was a great moment, I really liked when they both at the same time realized what was going on. And they weren't in there by themselves. They could bring their friends and just the fact that they both thought of that at the same time, I think, really shows how interconnected their minds are. Not only that, I think that they were literally connected. So they were searching each other out in the electronic pathways in the device because it was open between the two of them so that they could actually solve the issue together because that's what Attila, Attila is that her name, Attila? Altara. Altara. Because that's what she wanted. She wanted them to solve the problem together. So she was connecting their minds to make sure everything was open. And Simmons even mentions at the beginning, oh, this is not a good idea because she knew about all her hidden demons. She didn't want that to happen. But yeah, Chris, I'm with you. That scene where they said, oh, let's call for backup or I'm not going to do this alone. They both thought about it together. They were connected together. And then we got the team in on this, which was good because if you didn't do that, then the team wouldn't have had anything to do in the episode except for the brief cameo at the end. So that was great. I love that. That was the turning point of the episode. But I'm also with Michelle in that that particular scene was great with them screaming. They get to the point where it's like, why are we still yelling at each other? I don't know. And it was just fun when they got to that point. I also, I just like this. You are so English. You know, he, he said that like, yeah. I don't know, five times. You were so English. I was like, okay, well, let's define what this means. And so they did while they're yelling. And I had to watch the closed captions to figure out what they were saying because Leopold and the ring version of Simmons were talking over at that point in time. And it, it was just a, a great scene that whole time. You are so English. So what does that mean, Chris? You are so English. She's just sitting there. She's got that English stoicism going. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I'm not going to act like there's anything wrong. It's just, yep, something happened. Let's go on and keep doing what we need to do. And then just box up all the hard feelings. And yeah, it's the English. And he's Scottish, right? That's Fitz. He's Scottish. I'm asking. I believe so. Yeah, right. So it's the whole English versus Scottish thing. One country, but it. I guess it's like us in America between like Texans and New Yorkers or Californians or something like that. Be about the same, just not a country. Well, I guess with Texas, it's a country, but for the rest of the country, it's just state and where they're at. So I need to say something about when they got out of the pod, 
And they're like, okay, we have to space our monsters together. And they get out and they find out that even their monsters need to be together. It's because they're perfect for each other in every possible way. I expected a Galaxy Quest quote of, oh, that's not right. But they went another way, didn't they, Michelle? Yes. I didn't know you liked that. I didn't know you'd be willing to do that. (laughs) And their heads are just tilting because their ids are, well, doing it. It was good to see that each version of them are meant to be together. And that was, it was good. And then Enoch saves them. So we've been really gushing over Enoch. I think even though he wasn't on screen very much this episode, he did some amazing stuff. Uh, basically, he took out <laughs> the entirety of the guard that was around the little science lab that they had set up. And so he comes out and, he, you know, he's got the big guns and everything. And it's like, I took rash action or whatever. He said, Michelle, what did he say? Do you remember? I took bold action. Bold action. You're like, well, yeah, you obviously did. He's got some badness in him and he's not trained to be a fighter or a hunter or an assassin or anything. He's just trained to be a time monitor. And uh, yeah, he's grown a bit. Thanks to Fitz. Chris, what do you think of Enoch's actions there? I really love the way that he's, I I hate to say become more human, but essentially become more human, just understanding what Fitz is going through, what they're going to need, how bad this whole situation possibly could have been with their brains going together like that. And just the fact that he knows that none of the other people will listen to him, even though he's had the most interaction with humans, I think seems a little irrational, which kind of goes against what I've come to understand their nature as. Where do you think they teleported to? Did they teleport to Earth or did they teleport close by? That one's Maybe tough. it's yeah, that's tough. I don't think they could have gone all the way to Earth. That's, I think, far-fetched. Maybe they went to a different ship, one that Enoch knew wasn't really staffed, and they're going to get back that way? I was thinking one way or the other, I think they're going to end up in Earth next episode, but especially since at the end, so let's talk about that a little bit, where you get the post credit scene, basically, of Mac with Daisy, and they're sitting around just talking everything through it. And, you know, Mac is the director. Daisy is basically the, lack of a better term, head of the field unit would probably be the, the best way to describe how she is. She's one of the top agents. And they're talking back and forth and about their discoveries over the past few months, what's been going on. And it just comes back to, we're just going to stay here for a while. I'm not going to send you back out there. Because we've got this thing going on, and it's the same thing that happened to the Comic-Con planet, home planet, and we need to stop that from happening. And she's just like, okay, like, okay, that's what we're doing now. And I think next episode is going to be all about Earth. I I don't think we're going back to space for a while. So that's why I'm thinking that the, the three of them actually end up on Earth. But that's just my assessment. We didn't see any of the secondary characters. You didn't see Deke. This episode, we didn't get Davis and the rest of the agents, Piper and Trevor or anybody. It was just the main crew. So I think next week we're going to get back into it. In case you didn't see the preview, Sarge, Clark Gregg, plays a prominent role in the next episode. Chris, do you think Sarge is going to come back and be the leader? He's been really surprising me because... My wife and I were both thinking, you know, big bad guy for the season kind of stuff going on when it started. And then just the last time when we saw him and it's, oh, you're trying to stop people that are in the wrong timeline. That was a big surprise to both of us. I think I called it about two episodes ago. The fact that I thought that Sarge was going to come in and I I called him a good time cop basically back then. And it's kind of what he's been doing. He doesn't know anything about this Earth. He doesn't know anything about S.H.I.E.L.D., or at least he doesn't remember. I think it's in his DNA, but I'm not sure exactly what he remembers or not. And that's the whole thing, too, is what is his origin? Because obviously he is Coulson, but I don't know how he became Sarge. We're going to find out. I think the doctor is going to have a swipe at him at some point. He might be something. Oh, by the way, Dr. Benson is on his trip now. Probably maybe with that's why Piper and Davis weren't here. I was postulating the fact that they would be on the road trip with the doctor last episode, too. So maybe that's going on. We'll see more about 
what the ley lines and the monoliths are going to be like next week. I'll hand it to Marissa and Jed and in the writer's room. This season, although short, has been really good so far. Chris, what do you think about the season so far? I think they've done a really good job dropping a lot of plot threads around so that they can jump around to all these different places. But everything is important. It's not just a bunch of little side stories that are going to come together. It's all things that we can see from here that it all needs to get resolved. You've got Dr. Benson going out to check out that stuff. You've got the weird time wraith people coming through. You've got all this space stuff, but it's all from the beginning working toward the same endpoint. Chris, what do you think Sarge is? We have many ideas. What's yours? Mostly, I'm thinking right now that they somehow got Coulson's body, either brought it back to life or just cloned it or whatever their technology would consider close enough. And I don't want to say super soldiered it, but essentially super soldiered it. But the who is weird for me. Like, I don't know if it would be Chromacons because of the whole time copy aspect or Cree because we've essentially seen them do this before. I'm a little hesitant on the clone version because he obviously has some memories. And I don't know if cloning would include memories or not, but he has some memories of Coulson that started to surface when he was having those talks back and forth with May. So I don't know if I can buy that unless they say something about his his memories limited got cloned over too. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're not working with human cloning, so... And that's why, I, you know, I, cloning isn't the best word, but it's the closest thing I can think of right now. Yeah. Genetic copy. Oh, that's kind of clone. I don't know. I'm sure they'll tell us one way or the other. Michelle, any last thoughts about this episode? I have to give it to the actors for keeping me captivated about an episode that's basically one huge marriage therapy session. I was completely entranced, engaged. So kudos to the actors, the writer, and the director. Honestly, offline we were having this discussion. Honestly, it was a little bit like running through the TARDIS on Doctor Who because you go into all the different rooms and they're all set up differently. They could be in different time zones, whatever, you know. So it was interesting to me. It kept my attention. I was on the treadmill. I'd already watched it once and I was on the treadmill this morning I looked down and like 35 minutes had gone by and, and I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that, you know, it was the mark of watching something good when you're exercising. You just don't realize the pain you're going through. So kudos. Loved it. Chris, anything else you want to say about the episode? I think my favorite part of the whole thing, honestly, was when Fitz and seven-year-old Gemma were yelling at each other because you had Fitz and you could tell he really wanted to lay into her, but realized he couldn't because she was seven. And then that classic seven-year-old just calling him a butt face <laughs> how old are you seven and a half and then he's just like mm. <laughs> you know he closed his hand like stop talking you know this is not helping uh so yeah he was trying to be the parent and that's an awkward situation because you know the actual person is in there but she's regressed herself to seven just because she didn't she wasn't ready to talk to Fitz about everything but by the end she's all great and Kudos to the costumers and the makeup people on the episode being able to make them look like they had looked seven years ago or even before that, you know, when they were at the Academy. I think the wardrobe and the makeup department did just an absolute great job. And just think of all the costume changes. Think of the hair changes for Gemma. Now, she doesn't have an elaborate hairdo, but her hair has changed over the years. So, yeah, she had to go through a lot this episode. Well, next time we'll be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6, Episode 7, Tolja. And Tolja's with a J-A, so I guess that's... Is that the texting lingo with the kids these days, Michelle? Tolja? I think that's more of just a slang. Okay. So we'll be talking about that, and um, hopefully we'll have Lauren back with us next week. In the meantime, we have a hot bit of news to talk about before we get this one out. Michelle, as we were preparing for this podcast, I said, there is one news story that we absolutely have to cover this week. And you said, okay, so what is that? 
Kevin Feige reveals that Avengers Endgame will return to theaters next week with additional post credit surprises. Feige confirmed Endgame will be re-released on June 28th. While it isn't an extended cut of the three-hour epic, it will have extra surprises for people who stick around. He said, not an extended cut, but there will be a version going into theaters with a bit of marketing push with a few new things at the end of the movie. If you stay and watch the movie after the credits, there'll be a deleted scene, a little tribute, and a few surprises. I'm looking forward to that. I, I have said to everybody as soon as I heard this, you know, I, I saw it in the theater twice opening weekend. I haven't seen it since. I'm going to see it. Chris, you going back to see this? I want to. It's going to be a timing issue more with me because I know I've got a lot of stuff going on the next few weekends. So we'll see how long it stays in theaters this run. Of course, Michelle, there's the unstated goal of trying to beat avatar for the worldwide box office and i'm all for that too just because well i think this deserves it more than avatar but i think uh, either way i want to see those extra scenes there's been a lot of talk about people like buying tickets and not showing up to the theater until like most of the way through the movie so they get this stuff but i only saw it the opening weekend so i'm all for actually sitting through and watching the film again are are you going to watch the whole thing again i don't know again it's a timing issue. There's a couple of other things I want to see and a couple other things I want to do. Maybe if it's still available over July 4th weekend. I mean, I wonder if they're going to keep it in theaters long and, and then take it out when Spider-Man comes out. Because Endgame really does lead into the new Spider-Man movie. See, I'm thinking that they're putting it back in theaters, not only because the extra stuff and they kind of had planned this all along, but when they pulled Dark Phoenix from the theaters, they had to replace that with a revenue stream. And I think for company wide, and I think this is a good replacement for them, even though I think they were already planning on it. I don't know when they were planning on it. Like, were they planning on it now or were they planning on it in the fall after Spider-Man had been in the theaters for a while? I don't know. And I don't know how much they care about Spider-Man because that's a Sony property. And as far as we've heard, there is no money transferring back and forth between the theaters, between the movie houses. Actually, I heard today, I didn't put it in there, but Kevin Feige says it's up to Sony to do a Spider-Man Venom crossover. Feige is invested in Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man. They do get money from it whether directly from the movie or just indirectly from just whatever Marvel benefits. Feige wouldn't be doing all of this if it didn't benefit Marvel somehow. At some point it's going to be a return on investment discussion that Kevin Feige is going to have to have. It's like, okay, how invested are we going to be in with Spider-Man and Tom Holland? They brought him on really young. He could be in the, whatever the Marvel cinematic universe becomes for a very long time and really help the, future of the mcu uh going forward so I'll, I'll give you that that they're invested in the character but they're not invested in the movie necessarily so i'm not sure it's it's hard to disassociate them but i'm not sure how much they really care about sony's longevity in the box office like six weeks after spider-man comes out they could have already thought of putting endgame back in the theater i don't know but I do know that they wanted to do it sometime this year. So pulling Dark Phoenix was just a, a good way to do that. Chris, do you think they're going to beat Avatar? I really hope they do. I mean, I don't think Avatar is horrible or anything, but I, I just want to see this one do better. Me too. How close are they? I guess that's the big question is, could this even make a dent? I'm bringing up the two right now. So there's there's two records that they would want to go for. One is the domestic, and that is actually Star Wars The Force Awakens. So Avengers Endgame right now, the 22nd of June 2019, stands at $833 million domestic. Star Wars The Force Awakens is at $936 million, and that's roughly 90 seven million dollars i don't think they, they could pull that off in a re-release but who knows maybe now worldwide avatar is sitting at 2.788 billion dollars and avengers endgame are at 2.745 billion dollars so that's only a difference of 43 million dollars i think they got that 
I think they got the worldwide, but I don't know if they're going to get the domestic or not. They might have to do even another re-release to do that. That's going to be a tough one. So they're close to beating Avatar worldwide, but they're not really close enough to beat Force Awakens. No, they're not. And then also with the Star Wars movie coming out this December, I'm not sure. I, I mean, they lost a lot of hype out of eight. So I don't know if nine's going to get up there or not, but it, it depends on if, how it ends. If it ends really well and the Star Wars fandom is, is happy with it, maybe it could reach this height. I don't know. I'm not counting on it, but it could get up there. And once again, just the all-time domestic box office, the top 10. Let's just go. Star Wars, The Force Awakens is number one. Avengers Endgame is number two. Avatar is number three domestic. Number four is Black Panther. Let me repeat that. Number four is Black Panther, uh, which was the number one Marvel movie of all time before Endgame. And then number five is Infinity War. Number six is Titanic. Number seven, Jurassic World. Number eight, The Avengers. Number nine, The Last Jedi. And number 10, Incredibles 2. Disney's got a lot of those titles and or a lot of those IPs now. So Disney is really rocking the box office domestically. And I think that's where a lot of the profits come in. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure on the worldwide. I, you know what? I'm not going to say one th- way or the other, because I'm just thinking with all the transference between countries and stuff, you'd lose a lot of money. But I, d- I don't play those games. Definitely not in the billions of dollars. So I don't know how much they actually get to keep profit and how much they don't off of that. But uh, it's a very similar list with the top 10 uh, worldwide. Furious 7 is in there. And Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is number 11 on the worldwide list. So there are some differences there, but yeah, I think we're going to see a new top of the chart worldwide in another couple of weeks. Cause I think worldwide, I think $43 million is a given for this movie at this point. Chris, is there another movie you'd like to see in the top 10 there? I'm horrible with new movies, so I mostly don't know what's coming out. I mean, I'll say the Spider-Man one just because I want to see it be a good movie and well-received. But for the most part, these comic movies are pretty much most of what I know about that are coming out. I wonder how Toy Story 4 is going to do. That came out this weekend. I know it's doing really well so far. A lot of people are saying it's actually better than Toy Story 3. And Toy Story 3 was amazing. And I really do want the new Star Wars movie to do well. Because the criticisms people have against it are just, it's a girl. That's just a bunch of nonsense. (laughs) Spider-Man Homecoming on the worldwide gross, by the way, is 59, but that was before Endgame, and then it's 57 on domestic. Uh, The original Spider-Man, well, not original, but the 2002 Spider-Man is 32 domestic, and uh, worldwide Spider-Man is not done great. Spider-Man 3 of 2007 is 56. The uh, Spider-Man in 2002 is 76 worldwide. I, I guess, you know, in the grand scheme of things, top 100 ain't that bad, but they're not top grossing movies yet. So we'll see. All right. Anything more to say about Endgame coming back to theaters? Nope. All right. So we're going to, Michelle has, has actually come up with this. I give no credit to myself on this. We're just going to grab our besties and teleport our way out of here. Chris, I want to say thank you very much for stepping in for Haley and Lauren. It's been a pleasure having you on. And where can people find you? Well, you can find me over at playcomics.com or on Twitter at playcomicscast or check out the Facebook group. Easiest way to get there is playcomics.com slash Facebook group, where everybody except SP can go hang out in there. (laughs) You're excluding me. Also, what was your last episode about? The last one I put out was... Crap, no, I can't remember because I'm like three weeks ahead. The last one I put out, I grabbed Bile Stokes and their producer, Matt, from J. Miles Explain the X-Men, and we took a look at Children of the Atom, specifically the PS1 and Saturn ports. Sweet. So we didn't talk 
too much about it at the beginning, but what is the concept of Play Comics? So the concept of the show is that I'm taking video games that are based on comic properties and just seeing how well they stick to that source material. So you have a lot of things like Children of the Atom here where it's really based more on the franchise as a whole as opposed to a specific thing, even though this one vaguely pretends that it's connected to Fatal Attractions and that story arc. And then you have other things where, like Death Return to Superman, where it's just a straight up, here's the comic arc for you, play it as a game. And I grab a guest each week and you know, sometimes it's just random person that really likes a franchise and sometimes it's somebody who has a bunch of time invested in a kind of professional way in that franchise so a lot of great stuff once again that's play comics which you can find at the geek.com network and thanks to everybody who's downloaded this podcast and continues to i really appreciate your subscription and you listening to us talk about marvel small screen properties yes and we like to thank everyone who interacts with us on twitter And on Discord, we appreciate your feedback. And with that, until next time, I'm Director SP. And I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm Agent Chris. Oh, I don't know about Agent yet. Maybe Consultant. Fine, I tried to sneak it in. Okay. We'll see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. I'm having a real hard time spelling inescapable. You're probably doing a better job at it than I would. Chris, how long have you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Did you catch on from the beginning? or Pretty early. We've always watched it on Hulu, so I had to watch that one this morning. Oh, I'm surprised it's still on Hulu. Yeah, that's how I've been watching it. Yeah, okay. Well, that explains a great many things. Like, why I don't see the previews. (laughs) It's just easy to have the episode on one screen and do the show notes on the other screen. Right, well, yeah. I got in on the $2.99 for the season, like $2.99 for the season on uh, Prime. So I can do that, but I have been watching them on the DVR. This will, of course, all be taken out in post. Common Hollywood phrase. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post indeed. Michelle, what else have you been watching on TV lately? Because this has been kind of a dearth of TV lately. Oh, the hundred. Yeah. Pose. I started Good Omens. I need to finish that, which is on Amazon, not Netflix. Did it change? No, there is this silly petition of people wanting Netflix to cancel Good Omens, but they didn't take 30 seconds to Google Good Omens airing on Amazon Prime. So everyone's been making the joke. I love the joke with uh, like Netflix UK was like, okay, we'll cancel good omens and prime was like okay we'll cancel stranger things then just sort of making fun (laughs) of the entire situation i saw the uh trailer for good omens when i was just starting back into man in the high castle because been spending a significant amount of time on the treadmill and i ran out of dvr stuff to watch so i'm like okay well it's time to start going through the back catalog yeah so i saw the trailer and i was like wow that's a lot of big stars for good omen are they all just cameos or are they actual parts in the uh, series? Do you know? No, John Hamm plays uh, Gabriel. David Tennant is the demon and Michael Sheen's the angel. 
I just saw a couple of Doctor Who episodes that I got off the DVR finally of David Tennant. One was, I forget the name of it, but it was the, I think it was a Christmas episode of the Titanic, the spaceship over the uh, the Earth. Yeah, that, that was a, it's a good one. It's sad. It has Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue is the woman. She's a pop star, really big in Australia. Anyway. She was sick during the filming. And I know this because she, you know, you have a runny nose when you get sick and they tried to hide it really well. But there was times where you could see the, uh, the shine in her nose. I was like, oh, you know, you get this big role to be on, on Doctor Who and then you're sick. It's like, uh, she did a great job though. Very sad. I, it's not the first time that I've seen that again, because BBC America pops that up every once in a while. And it's just very frustrating <laughs> when you get to the end. It's like, oh, none of the Doctor's companions turn out well. But yeah, I was watching a couple of the David Tennant stuff, and the Doctor has changed over the time. Of course, the different actors have changed. But David Tennant, I think his his entire role, and this was towards the latter part of the role, it was after he lost Rose. He was really, really hurting from that whole Rose thing. That's why Donna was perfect. I know there was Martha. I liked Martha. I didn't like how it was two companions who got romantic feelings for him back to back. That's why Donna was just a refreshing, you need to get out of this, smack him in the face sort of type. It's like, oh, come on, chin up. Let's go. Let's do this. I love Donna. I hated what happened to her, though. Broadcast has been successfully terminated by Ring Simmons with her bone knife. Gonna carve your heart out. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2019.